is because we're looking at things from the wrong vantage point because when we say all things work together for good for those who love God that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we are more than conquerors to him who loved us you go all these verses and you say oh wait I can complain about this but actually count it all joy when I fall into various trials knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience and all these different things Your perspective is important, especially when you're trying to make sense of what's going on. It's really easy to question what God is doing when circumstances are hard and the solution seems impossible. Today, Pastor Daniel invites you to settle into the truth that God sees what's going on and he's committed to working in and through your situation for good. You'll learn that when you have the correct vantage point, you'll complain less and hope more. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 11 as he begins his message, Immediate Issues. We started to take baby steps into chapter 11 last week, just the first three verses, and we saw things got rough really quickly. Now I want to put a qualifying phrase up at the top of this message, because when you're in sections in the Bible where you're watching people screw up, there's no better way to say it than that, like they're just screwing up. It's very, very easy for us as Christians, for pastors to get into the listen, quit screwing up people mode. And um, I think we have to remember that that is a very important exhortation from the Bible for all of us. But don't forget the fact that the reason we believe in Jesus is because we're all a bunch of screw-ups. Amen? Like, the the reason we believe in Jesus who died and rose again is because we've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all gotten things wrong. And there's maybe a few of you right now who are like, well, I haven't, and that's wrong. That's what you have to realize. You know, if you're like the one like, oh, I haven't screwed anything. Yeah, okay. You don't even realize yet. And the reason we believe in Jesus and the reason God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins is because we make mistakes. And so as we go through sections where people are messing up, and and I have to, as a pastor, and because I love you, I have to make the exhortation. We need to be careful not to screw up. We also have to be radically grace-based. And the grace of God, if you think about it, G-R-A-C-E, that word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the best definition of grace you'll ever find. Most gods would say that grace is God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. It's God giving you a gift you never deserved. But I like the God's riches at Christ's expense definition of grace because it puts Jesus in the middle of it. Because God's grace comes in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we are all grace cases, every single one of us. No matter how sordid your past was or how neat 
and tidy and sophisticated it was. We all come into a relationship with God because of God's grace, because we've all made mistakes. We've all screwed up. We've all been there. And so I wanted to make sure I said that up front because a lot of the thrust of this text and this series is going to be looking at a greatest hits of the children of Israel's calamity. So if, how many of you like watching Monday Night Football? There's a section in the commentary of Monday Night Football called, Come On, Man. And it was like all like the, the bad plays and all the different guys get to choose a little clip. Like, come on, man. And, and uh, all these different, like the worst, not the best plays, but the worst plays of the weekend. And then they talk about like the worst plays. And in a lot of ways, this section of the book of Numbers is the, come on, man, of, of the Old Testament. They just, there's a lot of things that they get wrong and we get the replay of it. So without further ado, let's jump in. You guys excited about this, right? Come on, man. Numbers chapter 11, verse one, it says, Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, then Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire was quenched. So he called the name of that place Teberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. And that word Tibera in verse three is literally Hebrew for burning. So they named the place burning because the fire of the Lord burned there. Now we did take this last week. So just real briefly, you notice that the people are complaining. Now, one of our biggest struggles, I think in, not in this generation, but in the human condition is that we just like to complain. We have infinite number of things to complain about. And we do it all the time, but our Bibles say that we should do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, what does all things mean? All things. You guys are scholars, see? When it says do all things without grumbling and complaining, so is there anything we should do with grumbling and complaining? Nothing. We have no, the Bible gives us no wiggle room in regards to grumbling and complaining. So, do all things without grumbling and complaining. See, I know it's a tough word. It's like right up front. It's like, just think. Think about the amount of times you've complained in the last 48 hours. And just praise God that he didn't consume you with fire. Because you put this thing in context. I mean, would any one of us be here and not be crispy? Like a marshmallow that got the flame on it. and You know, like that's us. Because we've all, and either you... Either you complained outwardly or something went on and you grumbled in your heart, right? I, listen, I know I did. Sure enough, 2.45 this morning, a little girl named Annabelle Grace Fusco, who's nine months old, started yelling in her crib. And my little girl is cute. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I, I like her. You know, like we're going to keep her around for a while. We're never going to let a guy marry her, ever. You know, like she's going to just stay with us, you know, and she started crying and sure enough, I woke up and I thought to myself, why is she crying? I need to sleep. I got to preach tomorrow. And my precious bride rolled out of bed to go get her and I went back to sleep. But it's like, I complained about my, like, I'm blessed with a little girl in my house, a little nine month old little girl who's sweet as buttons. But she started crying and what did I do? I complained. I grumbled in my heart. 
And I thought about teaching you guys this today. And I thought, man, I need this just as much as everybody does. So listen, and I, no, listen, I didn't get up and start yelling at Annabelle or, you know, I, it was none of it. But inside I was like, oh, come on, I need a night's sleep. And, you know, God bless my wife. She went up and she took care of the baby. And I just rolled back over and fell asleep like a, like a husband kids have to do, you know. But it's like, I have a grumbling and complaining heart. And it's interesting that that displeased the Lord. You notice that. You need to notice that. Verse one, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. When we grumble and complain, what we're saying is, God, this life you've given me isn't good enough. The breath in my lungs are not good enough. The situation that I find myself in that you're using to shape me into conformity to the person of Jesus is not good enough. And I'm here to tell you, in order for you and I to be changed, to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus, God's got to do some work on that. I've never sculpted anything in my life, but I've read about Michelangelo was a phenomenal sculptor, and they would ask him, Michelangelo, how do you know what you're doing? He said, I just take away everything that's unnecessary. And a sculptor would go to a piece of marble with a hammer and a chisel and kunk, kunk, and some piece will break off and get away all the big pieces. And you think, oh, that, that hurts. But then he gets in with the sandpaper. Because the great sculptor knows what he's trying to make. He's just removing everything that is unnecessary. And because you and I are the workmanship of Jesus, according to Ephesians 2.10, that God is a master artist. And the things that we are apt to complain about are actually him orchestrating circumstances to remove things that are unnecessary from our character. But it hurts, doesn't it? The pruning process hurts. So we have to stop grumbling and complaining because we trust in God, who's the great master builder. And we realize that we don't know how God is forming and shaping us, but he knows. So often, the things we grumble about are actually God's handiwork to change us. Because as I like to say, and I say it all the time, that God loves us and he accepts us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us this way. He knows that more has to happen so that we can be changed. So when we complain, it displeases the Lord because we should do all things without grumbling and complaining. We should be people who are grateful, that old attitude of gratitude, realizing that life's a gift, that today is a gift. It's all a matter of a perspective, isn't it? I was talking to someone recently, a close friend, and was lamenting on some of the issues that he was having in his family with his mom. He was going on and on about his mom, and I finally said, bro, listen, I'm like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cheap shot you. I'm like, but I'd give anything to have a fight with my mom right about now, because I lost my mom 18 years ago. And I'm like, look, I'm like, that's a cheap shot, but it is a perspective giver. I'd give anything to be having an issue with my mom right now. I would love to be fighting with her. I would love to not want to call her, but knowing that I, she was available to call on the phone. And that's a perspective shift. And I think for you and for me, the reason we grumble and complain is because we're looking at things from the wrong vantage point. Because when we say all things work together for good for those who love God, that 
nothing can separate us from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You go all these verses and you say, oh, wait, I can complain about this, but actually count it all joy when I fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience and all these different things. When we get out of our fallenness and we step into God's forgiveness and his grace, all of a sudden, all these things look totally different. We're like, oh, this is purposeful from God. He's going to make me like Jesus, and he needs to get rid of that part of my life. So let's stop complaining, shall we? And some of you in right now, just like I've confessed my sins, and, you know, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, as our Bible say. So even right now, if, you, if you've got a grumbling and complaining spirit or nature, you might want to just give it to him right now. Be like, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for, for grumbling and complaining. I don't want to displease you. And in this case, the fire consumed them. Now, don't forget, the children of Israel were being led by day by a pillar of cloud, protection from the sun, and by night, a pillar of fire. So what's interesting is that the presence of God began to consume the people in God's anger. And don't miss, in the, in the book of Hebrews, it says that our God is a consuming fire. It speaks of the wildness of God, so to speak. The irascibility of God, if you like words. That God is not a tame God. That's the word that uh, C.S. Lewis used in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That Aslam is not tame. The idea that God is free and wild in that way. And the God of the Bible is definitely that. He's not, our God is not neat and tidy in any way. But let's move into verse four. Look at what happens. It says, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And if this was the Wizard of Oz, we'd say, oh my. Anyway, verse six, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it up on millstones, or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of a pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. Now, you see what's going on here. They were just complaining, right? And they have this whole incident where people are being burned in fire. And then it says in verse 4, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. Now, what this tells us is that when the children of Israel left Egypt, not only the children of Israel went, there was a mixed multitude. Other people went with them. We found that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. So not all who came out of Egypt were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not the brethren of of Moses. Many Egyptians and perhaps other foreigners went out. So there is this mixed multitude. And because of it, it says that the mixed multitude yielded to intense cravings or lusted. The word literally speaks of an intense lust. It speaks of they were passionate in their desires. Now, 
we're going to see that the mixed multitude giving in to intense cravings is going to impact the children of Israel because they're going to go along. Now, I need to bring this up because we all live in a world that is given over to intense cravings. I've said it many times here in Crossroads that our American idea of freedom has given us the inability to have any self-control. And Thomas Merton said, any man who must give in to all of his urges is in no means free, but is a slave. And that is our culture. Because we have instant access to whatever it is that you want, we live in a culture of such excess, such affluence, that literally everything we want is within hand's reach. And because of it, our culture has no understanding of self-control. And what it is, is because we live within the culture, that inability to curb the desires of our body is also running rampant through the people of God. And so you have to be careful who you allow to influence you. That's what I want to say. You have to decide for yourself if the influences in your life are promoting a yieldedness to the bodily desires that are outside of God's will. Because you guys know I'm not a, uh, an isolationist. I'm not the kind of person like, you guys, if you're watching TV, you're sinners. And if you're watching movies, you're sinners. And if you're watching, listen to music, you're sinners. And I'm not that kind of a person. But you also have to be very, very, very careful in the culture that we live in. Very careful. Because when you remove your bodily desires from the lordship of Jesus, that is an insatiable reality. The flesh is never satisfied. It always, it always is progressive. It always is. It never has an ending point. And you see what's going on here. Why did they yield to intense cravings? Look at what it says. Who will give us meat to eat? Verse five, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions and the garlic. Now, is that really what they ate in Egypt? Maybe a little bit, but what, what were the children of Israel and almost all the other foreigners in Egypt? They were slaves. But for many people, we look back to a, a time of enslavement and we only have a selective memory. There's nothing in here about Pharaoh slave driving them, beating them. There's nothing in there about Pharaoh wanting to kill all the sons. All there is is a selective memory of a few beautiful moments. And I'm here to tell you, I am quite certain that there are many of you right now, you have left a life of bondage, a life of slavery. You have left Egypt, but because you're starting to give in to intense cravings, all you remember was the fun moments, and you've totally forgotten how destitute you were there. We have to be careful because... The flesh is never satisfied. And what happens, you start to remember, oh yeah, when I used to party, it was always so fun. But you forget that you ended up lost and you lost all your money and you didn't even remember what happened and that the people who you're around, they didn't even care about you. And when you stopped partying, they abandoned you because you were only good because you had something that they could enjoy. 
Maybe you used to be involved in all sorts of relationships that were ungodly. And, and you remember the closeness of feeling, but you forget that the reason you left it is every morning you would wake up or in the middle of the night you wake up and you'd feel ashamed. And I don't even know this person. Why am I even here? And what did we do? And why did we do it? See, the problem with looking back at a life of sin, once you get outside of it, is we all have selective memory. We only want to remember the good parts, and we forget why we ran for our lives in the first place. They're like, oh, we had meat to eat. And, and then they go through the whole list of all the, I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? We would all like a little meat with some cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. I mean, it sounds like an Italian meal to me. I mean, it's got garlic in there, so you know it's like, that's in my, that's in my bailiwick. But notice, not only do they have a selective memory of the past, but look at verse six. But now our whole being is being dried up and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, not only do they have a selective memory of the past, but now they don't even appreciate God's miraculous provision. I mean, they're like, dude, we, I mean, we're in this wilderness, we're dried up, and all we got is this dumb food that God miraculously gives us every single night. Because that's what happens when we are delivered by the Lord and we start to give in to the bodily cravings. We start to diminish God's miraculous provision. And I am sure that there are some of you right now, you're looking back at your Egypt, whatever that was, and all you remember is the meat and the garlic and the leeks and the melons, and you forget all the brokenness and all the hurt, and you're looking at God's miraculous provision, you're like, that stinks too. I'm tired of that. It's God's miraculous provision. It's God's miraculous. I mean, God literally fed them every single night except for the Sabbath night, and he gave them double the night before. I mean, how amazing is that? That God literally rained down bread from heaven, and they're like, yeah, I am so tired of that manna. This is what happens when we get in the flesh. We have a selective memory of our bondage, and we want to diminish how amazing God is for us today. That's how it happens. And what's amazing is you see this understanding or this explanation of the manna which pops on in. Look at what it says in verse seven. Now manna was like coriander seed and its color was like the color of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it up on millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't complain about being on a pastry diet. I mean, it's not like, look, this stuff tastes like cardboard. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel shared that the Israelites' grumbling was rooted in their selective memories. Walking through the desert, they focused on what they had left behind in Egypt, overlooking the fact that they were in bondage and struggling to survive while in captivity there. And because they were dwelling on what they didn't have, the Israelites forgot how God had rescued them and was continuing to miraculously provide. Pastor Daniel cautioned you to be aware so that you don't do the same thing. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how Moses was overwhelmed and frustrated by the people he was called to lead. You'll see that you, like Moses, need to come to the end of your ability to make your life work or fix your situation. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to let go so God can move in and work. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Wilderness. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.